For this evening's scripture lesson, at least to begin with, we'll turn to Acts chapter 20, and we'll be reading verses 7 through 12. This is God's holy word, as he inspired Luke, the companion, the student of the Apostle Paul, the beloved physician, to write these things not simply by his own fallible memory, though he was along for much of what we see in the book of Acts, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is the uh, perfect account that has come to us from God himself. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 12. Let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy, infallible word. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, he had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. This ends the reading of God's holy word for us this time. May we pray. Lord, we do pray that you would indeed enlighten us, help us to understand your word, and as we deal with the topic of the Lord's Day, Sabbath-keeping briefly here this evening, we pray that we would grow in our understanding of this blessed day that you have given us, one in seven, to rest from our labors and to spend the day with you. We ask that we would use it well, and that you would help us to grow in our understanding of it through this brief consideration of it this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, key to our topic this evening is the first verse we read there, actually verse 7 of Acts chapter 20. We see now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. This is one of the, the scriptures that uh, we see in the book of Acts, that every time we know which day of the week it was that the disciples of Jesus were meeting to worship, we know it was the first day of the week. And last week we covered the first six paragraphs of the Westminster Confession of Faith's chapter on religious worship and the Sabbath. Uh, Those paragraphs summarize the Bible's teaching concerning worship. Uh, The remainder of the chapter deals with Sabbath-keeping. The the word Sabbath is from the Hebrew word for ceasing or for rest. It's a day of ceasing from our regular labors, a time of resting from them. Indeed, it's a time to rest, as we see in the Lord himself. 
But as the fourth commandment tells us, this has a bigger reason than just to give us a break. I mean, I just hinted at it there. We're to rest in the Lord. We see in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 in the Ten Commandments, is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your daughter, nor nor, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We're actually commanded, you'll notice there, to labor for six days and then to rest on a seventh day. This is why I find that the modern conception of the five-day work week actually developed in a Christian context, and it makes some sense. Because if you're going to be working, unlike previous generations where most people uh, were involved in farming and were essentially working for themselves, uh, had families with their own operation, if you're going to, after the Industrial Revolution, be working for someone else, and this, of course, was the truth in the ancient world, but... Lots of people were employed by others. If you're laboring for someone else, you labor for five days for them, then you have another day to get all of your, your, your household work done. And then you have the seventh day to rest. But we are commanded, you notice there, and this is a part that's overlooked by, the, by many as they read the fourth commandment, that we are commanded to do all our work in six days. To labor for six days. We're not to be lazy and waste those days necessarily. But we are to take a rest from those labors on the Sabbath. So that seventh day, that one in seven, is to be a Sabbath, a rest. And it's to be a rest to the Lord, the scripture says. So the confession says, as it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God. So notice there, they point out, of course, it's, this is a creation mandate, as we see back in, which, back in the Genesis chapter 2. We know the Lord rested from his work of creation on the seventh day, and that's referred to in the, the fourth commandment. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God wove, as it were, into nature itself this concept that mankind should be resting in one day out of seven. And so the confession says that it's a law of nature. <laughs> as it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God. We we owe God our worship, so there needs to be time set apart for that. It says, so in his word, by a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in scripture is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. Well, it's obvious that the Creator should be worshipped. 
So we should set aside time to worship him. That's what the confession is saying there. But remember from last week, there's that regulative principle of worship. So our, our principle for serving God in our daily life is a normative principle. Of course, if God commands us to do something, we are to do it. If he forbids us from doing something, we are not to do it. But there are lots of things that he has neither commanded nor forbidding, forbidden, so we're free to do them or not as we apply wisdom for how we can best serve God. But his principle for worship in Scripture, as we saw last time, is a regulative principle. That means he needs to have told us to do something as an act of worship before we do it. God has expressly commanded that we dedicate one day in seven to worship him. He determines how he is worshipped, and this is a part of that. Now, some people will claim that the Sabbath commandment is overridden by Colossians 2.16, which tells us not to uh, be concerned with a Sabbath. It says, let no, no one pass judgment. And listen carefully here to what Paul says. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or, and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, the context is that false teachers have been trying to force Christians to obey Old Testament dietary laws and ceremonial festivals as if uh, their salvation depended on these things or as if it was necessary to do these things in order to be serving Christ. But you'll notice that Colossians 2.16, Paul is concerned there with, with a, a Sabbath, not the Sabbath. And when a Jew would refer to a Sabbath rather than the Sabbath, that would refer to other days of rest that were commanded in the Old Testament on the the yearly calendar, like Passover, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Weeks. Those were called Sabbaths to the Lord. They didn't necessarily fall on the seventh day of the week. No one is to force a Christian, Paul is saying, to keep a liturgical calendar. So let no one trouble you concerning a Sabbath, he says. And we see that in the context also. He is clearly talking about Old Testament regulations, about food and drink, and about holy days, and that sort of thing. But keeping the Sabbath, one day in seven, is part of God's moral law that we see summarized in the Ten Commandments. In fact, it goes back before the Ten Commandments. It was part of God's moral law. It's a creation ordinance. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 tells us that God established the Sabbath from the week of creation. And that's referred to in the Fourth Commandment. In six days, God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then he rested a seventh day. And that's following that pattern is a way that is worshipful to God. But back in Exodus 16, verse 26, we see that even before the the, uh, Ten Commandments are given, which is recorded in Exodus 20, in chapter 16, we see... Well, let me read verses 23 through 26 here. Then he said to them, 
it was Moses. This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And let me just back up and say we could have read more there even. But, uh, but what's what we're reading about here is that God has, has given the people manna to eat. And they've made their bread from manna. And they were told every day, you go out in the morning, you gather the manna, and you can make your bread from it. Don't keep any until tomorrow. If you try to keep any until tomorrow, what they found out is that it would be full of worms, and it would stink, and it was unusable. So they needed to trust God and use just the manna for that day. Give us this day our daily bread, as it were. But then God told them, On the sixth day of the week, you gather two days' worth, and it won't be rotten and stinking tomorrow. (laughs) That was another confirmation that God was at work. And so Moses tells them that he said to them, this is what the Lord has said, tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This is before the Ten Commandments have been given. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the, to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So there we see uh, the seventh day Sabbath is already expected of God's people, and it's before he speaks the Ten Commandments to them. That's because Sabbath-keeping is a creation mandate. God established it in the week of creation. And so like marriage, like subduing the earth, like labor, it applies to all mankind. It's a creation mandate, and it's a perpetual moral law. It's not something that disappears or can get abrogated by something else. Think about it. Did... Jesus coming, did his sacrifice do away with marriage? No, not in this world. Did it do away with labor? No. Did it do away with our mandate to subdue the earth and rule it as God's caretakers, as his representatives in creation? No, hasn't undone that. Our sin has made that all of those things harder. But those things haven't been undone. So why would the Sabbath mandate be undone? The Sabbath, moreover, recalls both creation and redemption. In Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandment, we just saw that it makes direct reference to God's creating all things in six days and resting on the seventh. Well, But we've put that together with Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, where the... the fourth commandment is restated. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter nor your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought you out 
from it with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Sabbath keeping also reminds us, the Sabbath day also reminds us of redemption, even as it reminds us of creation. The Sabbath is explicitly part of God's covenant with his people. Exodus 31 verse 17 says, The Sabbath is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath rest is also a picture of heaven. We find this in Hebrews 3 and 4. Let me just read part of chapter 4 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, talking about ancient Israel. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the author of Hebrews there is referring to the Israelites who heard God's very voice, they saw his miracles, and yet they kept not trusting him. On and on. It says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's referring to Psalm 95.11, referring to God not letting the first generation of the Exodus actually enter into the promised land. But the author of Hebrews there also in this context will point out that uh, Israel didn't really enter into a rest. They got to go into the promised land, but they really didn't rest. That was just a picture of what is promised for God's people in the world to come. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, that's still referring to, to Psalm 95. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. So David wrote this many centuries after Joshua's time when they entered the promised land. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Revelation 14 verse 13 speaks of those who die in the Lord, saying that they may rest from their labors. So it's a picture of redemption, a picture of what we will have in the world to come. In one sense, refusing to keep the Sabbath is a refusal to enter heaven. Because it is a refusal to be sanctified to the Lord and to enter into his rest. Exodus 31.12 says, Above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now, so far we've seen this Sabbath, which occurs one day in seven, occurred on the last day of the week. And there are some who say, well, why should we change it? 
Doesn't the commandment say you shall rest on the seventh day? But as our confession contends here, the Christian Sabbath is the first day of the week. Are we wrong? You can find on YouTube places uh, all sorts of videos that will say that, that Christians started worshiping on the first day of the week, Sunday, to, because the Emperor Constantine, who legalized Christianity, was really a secret sun worshiper, and he wanted you to worship on Sunday, on the first day of the week. Well, uh, that has nothing to do with it. In fact, that's actual historical nonsense, and it's uh, the Christians were worshiping on the first day of the week long before Constantine ever legalized Christianity. Are we breaking the regulative principle, though? Are we, or by doing something with our worship that God has not commanded? Well, we see the apostles of Jesus Christ endorsed it. As our confession rightly says, We, what we do in worship... Uh, needs to be found in Scripture or by good and necessary consequences or the things that we that we believe need to be found either explicitly stated or by good and necessary consequences. Reasonable extrapolation from Scripture, we could say. Well, we can reasonably extrapolate this from Scripture. It's clearly the testimony of the early church fathers. They were all worshiping on the first day of the week. Why were they doing that? Well, because the apostles taught them to do that. And we see the apostles endorsed it. We read in Acts 20, as we just read this evening, for example, that Christians were gathering for worship. They were not doing their regular labors. They were resting on the first day of the week. It's very likely that they were still using the, the Old Testament way of counting days that began in the evening. So they would probably gather on what we would call Saturday evening for worship, much as Jews often gathered on what we would call Friday evening for worship. And Paul preached till midnight, and Eutychus fell asleep, so I'm not the first person somebody's ever fallen asleep during their sermon. Um, I used to joke that, I remember, I think the first... I might not have been the first person who ever fell asleep when I was preaching, but I clearly remember, the first one I remember it happening with was my grandfather. Uh, he, but he was getting on in years, and he just would fall. He got to the point where I was having a conversation with him, and you know, he'd fall asleep in the middle of the conversation, and then he got to the point where he fell asleep in the middle of his own sentence. He was talking, and he fell asleep. Uh, <clears throat> I guess he bored himself to sleep, but uh, in any case, I was—I'm not the first one to have somebody fall asleep on me in a sermon. And Paul, it even happened to the apostle Paul, and Eutychus fell out a window and died and was resurrected. But that was the first day of the week, the Scripture says. And every time that we know, as I mentioned. Uh, that what day of the week it is that Christians are worshiping, it's the first day of the week. So it seems that that's clearly the practice of the apostles, and it's clearly the testimony of the early church that that was their practice. Our Sabbath rest is in Christ. The Old Testament Sabbath was a picture of this. Matthew 28.1 and numerous New Testament verses remind us that Jesus rose from the dead, bringing new life, on the first day of the week. And we don't have time to go into it. Denny Pruto does a really great job of this. 
have going into this Old Testament principle of the eighth day, of there being another day after the seventh that becomes a, a picture of the switch that we'll see in the New Testament to the Sabbath. And one of those eighth days, of course, was the the Feast of First Fruits, which was the very day that Jesus rose from the dead. The testimony, both from inside and outside the early church, is that the earliest Christians held to a first-day Sabbath in remembrance of Christ's resurrection. You don't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus one day a year on Easter. We celebrate it every week. The Old Testament ceremonial law that makes the specific seventh-day Sabbath is abrogated in Christ. The ceremonial aspect of which day it is may be fulfilled in Christ. The moral principle of keeping one in seven remains. And the New Testament sets that day for Christians as the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day was foreshadowed by the Old Testament Feast of First Fruits, as I mentioned, which is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's always the day after the Sabbath of Passover week. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 24 tells us that Christ fulfills the first fruits by being, as we have been studying in 1 Corinthians 15, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. John 20, verses 1, 19, and 26 record that Jesus' post-resurrection appearances were very often, especially on the first day of the week. So now we see that we should keep the Sabbath. We see that we see when we should keep the Sabbath. So just briefly, how do we keep the Sabbath? The confession states the Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts, that's important. We have to we can't just do it with a sort of blase attitude. We need to prepare our hearts for the Sabbath. An ordering of their common affairs beforehand. So Uh, Plan as much as we can ahead so that we're able to keep the Sabbath, so that we don't have things waiting for us that need to be done that day. So it's kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe and wholly rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Now, does that mean that you can't take a rest otherwise, that you're just doing other work on the Sabbath? No. Uh, You mercifully need rest in one day in seven, and so if you find it is a merciful thing to take a nap or let your family members take a nap, that's, that's fine. But it's also good to do acts of necessity and mercy on the Sabbath. Jesus did those things. We must rest from our regular labors. You know, in it you shall do no work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. We're not supposed to do our own thing. We're supposed to spend the day with God. This is one of the things that sort of irritates me a little bit about Mother's Day and Father's Day. I have no objection to honoring fatherhood and motherhood. Those are things that we should honor, but we could have used one of our days for for that. Instead, we've taken God's day. 
Though we're not supposed to do our own thing on these days, we're to spend the day with God. Isaiah 58, 13, and 14 says, If you turn back your feet from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and a holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Luke 4.16, for example, tells us Jesus kept the Sabbath, but he didn't hesitate to do acts of necessity and mercy. Notice, though, that he did, as I mentioned, do acts of mercy, healing the lame and that sort of thing. There are things appropriate to do on the Sabbath. Remember, all your labor is to be done on the other six days. You can participate in God's labor on the seventh. There are people who lack understanding on this who will will say, well, preachers tell us not to work on Sunday, but they do. Well, this is an act of worship. This is something that has to be done for God's people to worship. But the principle is that acts of worship, necessity, and mercy are to be done on the Sabbath, and we have six days to do everything else. Sometimes things come up that can't be avoided. Those become necessities. We don't close hospitals on the Lord's Day and say, well, sorry, you sick people, we can't take care of you today. (laughs) No. That's That's necessary, and it's merciful. But ceasing from our labor shows that we trust God. We rely on His grace and not on our works. I'm saved by grace alone, not by my works, and so I will trust God to take care of me, even if it looks like rain tomorrow and I think I need to to mow my lawn. I think my beans need to be planted. Well, let's trust God. I have six days for everything else. This one is God's. Now, this is not meant to be a burden for us, though. As Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's an opportunity to train ourselves to turn our minds from earthly things and set them on heavenly things so that, as Isaiah says, it will be a delight to us. Denny Pruto writes of this, What is the Christian Sabbath? The Christian Sabbath is a covenant sign and means of grace wherein we worship, taste the rest of heaven, and God assures us he is sanctifying us. It is an institution we should cherish. As the visible church or covenant assembly of God's people is the place of worship, the Sabbath is the covenant day of worship. As God promises to fulfill his covenant promises to his people in the context of corporate worship in and by his gracious presence, so God promises to assure his people he sanctifies them on the day of worship. If we desire to meet with God, we will avail ourselves of the place of worship and the day of worship. We will also teach God's people to do so. We will use the means of grace. So remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. and Make it a delight. A time for resting, not just for ourselves, but a rest in the Lord that we will delight more and more in Him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that you gave us one day in seven to rest from our labors, to meet with you in covenant grace. Help us to use this day each week for acts of worship, necessity, and mercy, to rest especially in you. 
that the Sabbath may be a picture of heaven for us and a delight to all your people. For we pray in the name of the one who gives us our Sabbath rest, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.